This is Pat Perdue's Customer Experience Podcast. Every episode, we take a closer look at companies who are getting customer experience right from over the phone, social, apps, or in person. There are some companies that are just really good at this. What are they doing differently to make great customer experience happen? Listen in and find out. Pat Perdue's Customer Experience Podcast starts now. Hey, I'm Pat Perdue. Welcome to the pod. I got a pretty cool show for you. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so let me describe a customer experience conundrum to you. Let's say you ran a business and I'm not going to tell you what kind of business. I'm going to let you guess. In this business, your customers spend a lot of time and consideration choosing which of your products they're going to buy from you. Often they select only the components and leave you to assemble it in its final form. There's often a lot of emotional investment involved in making their decision, and needless to say, the final result has got to be perfect. In choosing the component parts, your customers can choose among hundreds of options and leave it to you to put it all together. To add to the complexity of this business, you never really know how busy you'll be. That said, all of your inventory needs to be completely rotated about every three days. After about three days, you can't use it. And finally, your customers will often never see what they finally buy. They select the components, pay you for them and the work you'll do with them, and they walk away. And it's your job to make sure they somehow feel good about their choice to work with you without ever seeing what they've actually bought. <laughs> what the hell kind of business is that? And how are you going to keep those customers coming back to you? Have you guessed the kind of business I'm describing? It's a florist. Think about it. Just think of all those times you've ordered flowers. You may never see the final result unless someone sends you a picture. So what is it about that that makes it a great experience for you? Now to add even more complexity to that, what if you were the founder CEO of one of the largest florists in New York City? serving all the major hotels where you have to get it 100% right every time. Managing that kind of complexity is trickier than any juggling act I think I've ever seen. And our guest today, Nick Phytos, <laughs> well, let's just say he's a damn good juggler. Okay, so let me tell you about Nick, and then we'll get to the interview. Nick Phytos is the owner and founder of Starbright Floral Design. He goes by the title of senior partner, and he's the founder. He started the company in 1994. Prior to Starbright, Nick lived, worked, and studied in California, Greece, Florida, before finally settling in New York. Nick has always been entrepreneurial, and his career has included publishing, technology, and financial sales. But it makes sense that he found his home in New York. Nick is part of that energy, that sparkle that puts the pizzazz in New York. If you've ever been to New York, you'll know what I'm talking about. Nick's dedication to this industry, as well as his dedication to delivering a five-star service experience, helps set a new standard for the floral industry, specifically in his interactions with hoteliers, travel, and tourism, which is a market he soon dominated. We're going to spend some time talking about that. Since its start in 1994, Starbright has grown from a single employee to 75 non-seasonal team members. Never has the company experienced a down year in revenue, this year notwithstanding, and is by every measurable standard the largest and most well-known floral brand in New York City. Nick has been featured on ABC News, The Wall Street Journal, Craig's Business, and even at a press conference with former Mayor Bloomberg. And now this podcast. Nick and I connected over Zoom late this summer, and we started our conversation 
talking about what sets Starbright apart from other florists and what has made them the florist of choice for hoteliers in New York who have the highest standards in the world. You're going to want to stick around for this. All right, I present to you the founder and senior partner of the florist of choice for the city that never sleeps, Starbright Floral Design. Here's my conversation with Nick Vitos. I ordered a dozen roses from Starbright and a dozen roses from your competition. What might be the things I'm going to notice that will say, oh, yeah, this is where the difference is? Well, you know, it's, uh, sometimes it's the small touches that make the big difference. Uh, and sometimes it's the obvious. Every minute detail has to be looked at. Every opportunity to excel has to be uh, addressed. Uh, that starts with the way the telephone is answered uh, from our customer service team, where every member of our customer service team has visited the concierge desks of the five-star hotels that we service in the city and has interacted with them and knows them by first name. The reason why from time to time our team goes on these field trips one at a time is to see how they interact with their guest because really, and not just the meet and greet part, which is very important as well, but we set a standard that when someone is calling us, our demeanor and our behavior is equal to that concierge, whether we're talking to a concierge or not, we're at your service. And by observing their mannerisms, by observing their vocabulary, listening to the way they speak, uh, going to the arid extra dry commercial, uh, never see the, never let them see you sweat, that tagline, being able to control and solve problems and issues and make them right. That's all part of the behavior patterns of a professional concierge. And that transference of feeling goes into that level of our staff. Then you go to our design team where our designers are, um, are excellent. They realize uh, that the way that we succeed as a company and therefore maintain long-term job security is uh, through excellence in design, excellence in quality, and a final product that is second to none. Our customer experience does not end there. It continues by making sure that the delivery is made in a van that is cleaned and washed. The uh, mannerisms of the delivery person. Our delivery people are Starbright's ambassadors. They are the last person with whom a recipient will interact and form their own opinion about what they just received. And that delivery person is part of that experience. So that has to be excellent too. Then you go to the little touches and, you know, I, I have to draw back to a review that uh, we uh, received on one of the websites, on one of the review websites, where someone was in the hospital and they received five or six different arrangements. Naturally, ours were the best and they said that and that's great and I appreciate it. But what was interesting about the review is that she noticed the scribe on the card uh, was attached to the flowers with a pearl pin, okay? Now, how much does a pearl pin cost? Ten cents? Do we really mark up the flowers by those ten cents to uh, be able to uh, recover the cost? No, absolutely not. What we do, though, and the way we think about it, is that if that pearl pin gets noticed, and in this case it did, that person who received the flowers from us will trust us with their own gifting. So, where did we make our money back in that gift from that pearl pin in the lifelong relationship that we're about to develop with yet another client? And you can multiply that out into a myriad of little details 
of everything that we do. Uh, and that's why we say to our teams that, uh, you know, everybody is an ambassador of Starbright. Everybody at Starbright is a marketer of Starbright. Everybody that's involved in Starbright has to always be uh, at the top of their game because it's not me or the leadership that our clients know, and it's not me that the brand is built on. It's built through the entire team over a 25-year period, doing certain things right and developing a camaraderie the we're in this together. Thanks for that story. That was super, super interesting. So much to unpack there. One of the things that I loved about that story is the notion of what are the details that we sweat. And if you listen to a musician or if you talk to a furniture builder about the things that they stress over, it's going to be the things that you and I may never notice. Mm-hmm. But they are going to spend hours and hours and hours perfecting those particular details because they notice. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And just to hold that one back a little bit and just to give one example, one of my pet peeves is the language you use on the telephone. Starbright, can I help you is not the right way to answer the phone. Uh, number one, change the word from can to may. Starbright, may I help you? But second of all, I don't need your help. I'm not a charity case. So help is not the right word. Starbright floral design, how may I be of assistance? A completely different level of rapport, okay? Uh, By the way, my name is Nick. May I ask who I'm speaking to, please? Thank you for reaching out to us. We're immensely grateful for the opportunity that you've given us to be of service. Keywords and phrases that everybody has either memorized or taken parts of and made their own Mm -hmm. in such a way as to, uh, not to sound contrived, but uh, there are certain phrases that are overplayed and overused, uh, two that come to mind is, it is what it is, or to be honest, okay, to be honest, what, you haven't been honest with me so far? (laughs) Uh, And other phrases like that, that, that are part of our daily vocabulary when we're talking to our friends, and a lot of times we transfer that into our professional lives. You're not going to walk into a bank and ask to see your bank balance. And, you know, if you have a disappointed look in your eyes, the banker or the teller is not going to sit and look at you and say, well, it is what it is. So, and we focus, we laser focus on that uh, because it is the first experience. And if I may, and I don't know how we're doing on time, but I have a... Oh. A bad habit. It's a podcast. We have we can give, go on as long as we want. Give me a mic and I'll go forever. <laughs> <laughs> but here, here's the crunch. That if you don't know us and if you call us and it's your first experience ordering flowers from Starbright, you're not going to see those flowers. Someone else will. And whether the flowers are perfect, a little bit better than perfect, or slightly less than perfect – you may never find out. And not only that, but you'd, you'd be a little bit embarrassed to call the person who sent them to you and say, you know, these flowers really suck. You know, right. you're just not going to do it. You're just going to be grateful for the gift. But on our side, the professional demeanor that I was referring to builds the kind of rapport with the person sending the flowers that in their mind, they're going to say, how could a person or an organization that just treated me this way possibly ever send something substandard. That's the level of confidence that I want the person who just called us to have in us before the gift even arrives. Okay, love that. Uh, and the point of difference that you're drawing, which I think is really fascinating, is that 
the experience you're giving to your customer, let's define the customer as the person who's, who's, who's buying the flowers. The experience that you're delivering to the customer is different from and will never be known by the recipient of the true essence of what your company is, which is providing flowers. I think that's a fascinating distinction. I'm having trouble coming up with a parallel example of where I, as the customer, never or very rarely see the output of the thing that I buy. You're putting a lot of faith in someone or in an organization that they're going to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like going up to a gas station, putting your credit card in the auto pay thing, pulling out the nozzle, uh, pumping gas in your car, hoping it's not buttermilk. Exactly. And we have faith that it won't be. Of course, we know pretty soon. I think there's a little bit of a difference there because we're getting behind the wheel and we're driving. So we know exactly if our engine isn't going well. We may never learn if that floral bouquet was any good or not. We have to go by some form of faith. So almost the true experience that you're providing your customer is, and I don't want to diminish the floral aspect because of course that's key, but is that customer contact moment when they're placing the order. That, that's absolutely true. And then, and I will say that when that client has the complete experience and they get that enthusiastic phone call from uh, the person who received the flowers, they're going to feel so good about their purchase that at that point, and I will go back to when I first said this, which there was no internet and we advertised in the yellow pages. And what I used to tell my team at the time was once we were discovered, I never want our clients to open up the yellow pages again in the flowers category. And the goal was to, on the first shot, earn the right to be that client's florist for a lifetime. And you know what? Not only does it work, but we as a team feel so much better about the work we do. That's how we've gained the loyalty of the world's greatest city. Uh, that's how we earned the moniker, the official florist of the city that never sleeps. And uh, transferring that further, no matter what business you're in, you rely very, very heavily on referrals. And, you know, we don't know when we're referred, except when the person calls and says, hey, you know, my friend told me about you guys, uh, or I just received flowers from you and I want to send them to someone. And the power of that, that's the multiplier that keeps you going. That's the uh, that's the fuel uh, that burns in our engine and, you know, keeps the whole thing alive. Got it. And there's another part of the industry that I'd love to spend a little bit of time on. We've talked about the, we'll call it the front end of the experience, which is placing the order. But I'd really like to spend time on the complexity of delivering on that promise, which is a spectacular bouquet of flowers, whether it's to a five-star hotel or wherever that's going to be. And these flowers are perfect. They're not half bloomed. They're not over bloomed. They're at the very moment that they should be delivered and received. Walk me through a little of all the stuff that happens behind that process. Uh, the steps are many. If you look at our cooler right now, there are probably about 200 different varieties of flowers that we have in stock. Some of those in multiple colors. Uh, we have orange roses, red roses, pink roses, yellow roses, and so on. And that happens with a lot of different flowers, whether it's orchids, lilies, what have you. So being on the ready for any order that comes in at any one moment 
that is completely unpredictable, but at the same time not being so over-inventoried that I'm either going to eventually have to send out spoiled flowers to our clients or discard them as garbage. Those are the two things that we don't want to do. So there's a fine balancing act between a very perishable inventory, the random request from a client, and to do it all with perfect timing. That to me seems an impossible juggling act. I don't know how you can manage that. So share with our listeners a little bit of what the secret sauce is that enables you to pull it off. It starts at the farm and we bring flowers in from New Zealand. We bring flowers in from Thailand and the South Pacific, Ecuador, South America. We bring flowers from Holland, Sanremo in Italy, Israel, and now the growing regions of Africa are starting to jump in. And I'm not even referring to California, which is a mainstay of much of our product. Uh, in addition to that, there's also farms in upstate New York that come into play, and that's our buy local campaign. Uh, sunflowers are very, very big right now in our state, peonies in the springtime and so on and so forth. So we try to balance, first of all, where our flowers come from. Flowers will take anywhere between 24 to 72 hours from the time they're cut and boxed to the time they arrive in our store. Uh, so they arrive thirsty and dehydrated. And uh, the first thing we do, we have a processing center in-house. So there's about 7,000 square feet in our store, which is probably about uh, seven times the size of a typical florist. Tip average flower shop has about 1,000 square feet. And uh, the first thing that the flower happens to the flowers is they get processed. What, are that, what does that mean? We want to give them a fresh drink of water. Uh, we want to bring the life back into them, which is normal, natural, and part of the process. And we manage our inventory on a daily basis. 12 hours after the flowers have gotten that first drink, they end up in our cooler. During those first 12 hours, they cannot be used because they're still drinking. So, and now they end up in our cooler and they're ready for our designers to use. The goal is for the customer to have a very comfortable seven plus days of vase life on the average flower. And in order for that to happen, my inventory cannot be on average of more than three days old. So you're rotating your entire inventory every three days. You're really balancing all of that to try to find the happy layer into which you can give your client what you've promised. Um, I don't know how we do it. And, and I see. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, I appreciate but your I, candor. But, but I do know we do it. And, and a lot of it, a lot of it is hunch. A lot of it is uh, uh, being able to uh, have our pulse on the fingers of the market, understanding the times and where we're living now or last year or whenever, uh, to be able to adjust to it, whether it's a high or a low, and uh, following trends. It's amazing. And this is why 25 years of experience comes in handy. Pretty much. And have you ever thought of employing technology to help you out with some of that complexity or there is there a way that technology can help technology can help there's some things that technology cannot do uh technology cannot replace a human voice uh in terms of customer service technology uh, i would never consider putting a robot at a design table to design the flowers uh but there, there are many technologies that we use right now and others that we're growing into and looking at. But obviously, on the web where a customer can place their own order, uh, the orders come in, 
we look it over. Orders do not get automatically processed online. Uh, they get processed by human to make sure that we're not missing any information, to make sure that the order is good, uh, and all the T's crossed and I's dotted and so on. Uh, and then once we've gone through that step, uh, our designers uh, have uh, terminals that see the orders coming to them, sort of a short order cook type of thing, Who uh, someone who has a screen in front of him and tells him how many burgers he's got to put on the grill kind of thing. That's a module that we call design manager, and then there's dispatch manager, and then there's delivery manager. And delivery manager orders get routed based on sections of the city where we've divided the city into 12 zones and where the orders logistically need to go. And uh, how, let's say, for instance, on a given day that we have five drivers, we're going to have five carts. And uh, by zone number, we determine which cart gets which delivery. They go on the carts. Uh, the driver comes back. He, t he knows to take the entire cart, load it up, okay, uh, makes the deliveries. Uh, and we're now looking at a FedEx style or UPS style uh, uh, delivery confirmation system where signatures are made on a smartphone and the client is immediately notified that the delivery is made. In some cases, uh, that will arrive to the, to the sender along with a picture of the flowers at the address where they've been received. So, you know, imagine sending your mom flowers and all of a sudden you get a, uh, a delivery confirmation on your phone uh, that has your mom's signature and a picture of your mom holding your flowers. So and those are the kind of things that we're looking at and the direction we're going in the future. Uh, but yes, uh, uh, technology has become a very, very big uh, part of the industry. Um, I don't think there's a single florist, small or large, that uh, can survive uh, without technology at some level and some form. Much of the technology that uh, we're employing right now, we uh, and I like to joke about this, we, uh, we're pushing the envelope with our technology partner, and uh, we're asking them to do things that they have never done before, and they've never applied. You know, and, and I keep telling them that uh, we shouldn't be charged any fees because, gosh almighty, we, uh, we're giving them ideas that they can make money on. <laughs> mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. And it's the best. It's the best for technology developers and providers to watch what they've created, find new applications that they themselves have never considered. That's super, super exciting. Of course. Yeah. And there's something we're getting toward the end of our conversation. And thank you very much for your insights and time. Um, there is something that I did want to touch on. You mentioned, you know, you've got a large staff and all of these various components that you've talked about, they all have their role in the customer experience in mind. And all of this has come from a vision that's essentially your vision. And you made a comment earlier that I'd like to circle back to, which was that when you build your relationships with your customers, it's not you, it's not Nick, it's all of these other people. How do you, as, a, as the person who has been growing this business, how are you able to let go of the need to control all of these aspects to make sure that they had the the next seal of approval on them and just sort of trust in the orchestra to play the symphony that was written? Uh, sometimes I do step in. I step in often in a positive way. Of course. But the mantra that goes around 
uh, not by me, but by others, is that's not the Starbright way. Nice. Uh, that's not the way we do things around here. And the best example that I can draw to accent on that point is on uh, all things negative. There can be no signs of negativity in the work that we do. You cannot possibly work in a flower shop and be anything less than happy and positive. You're surrounded by beautiful flowers. Exactly, exactly. Is it, <laughs> is it stressful? It absolutely is. Uh, is it nerve-wracking sometimes? Of course it is. Tell me something that's not, that's worthwhile achieving. But with that in mind... Uh, the overall attitude has to remain I can do, has to remain positive. And are there times that we feel like we're down in the dumps or, you know, we don't feel like being our happiest rah-rah person? That's fine. Go take a walk around the block. Paid time off. Uh, I don't care. And we're all human, and I respect that. But the Starbright way is a positive way. And it goes back to what I was saying before. Never let them see you sweat. If the cat spilled your lunch and if, you know, you got into an argument with your 17-year-old son because of whatever reason at home, your client doesn't know about it, they don't care, and you're not going to take it out on the roses. I love that. Don't take it out on the roses. And I think with that, what a perfect spot to end our conversation. Nick Fados, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really, really great to talk to somebody who's a big part of what makes New York great. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much, Pat. It was a great opportunity to speak with you. I thank you for the invitation. Uh, and uh, I look forward to meeting you one day soon, hopefully. And I wish you all the best in everything that you do. Thank you. Same to you. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks. That was my conversation with Nick Phytos. And I was so excited to get to interview him because it provided us with a glimpse into the machinery that makes New York, New York. And I just had to laugh when he told me he rotates his inventory about every three days. That's a lot of moving parts behind a promise to deliver the freshest bouquet of roses you'll ever see. And we often hear about a customer service golden rule. Treat your customers as you yourself would like to be treated. That's actually not the best practice in customer service. The better rule is treat your customers as they would like to be treated. It's a little more customer centric. And Nick does exactly that by having his staff actually visit his hotel clients and observe how the concierge interacts with their hotel guests and matches that level of service for the concierge when they call his shop. That's brilliant. Talk about sweating the details. So in your business, what are the details you sweat that maybe no one ever sees, but you see it and you'll spend time and energy and resources on it just because it bugs you. I really feel it's the cumulative result of sweating a bunch of those details that set the leaders apart from everyone else, regardless of the industry. Think about Ritz-Carlton or even Apple computers in the early days. Huge thank you to my guest, Nick Phytos. If you're ever in New York, swing by his florist shop. He's the kind of guy who talks to everyone. So typical of the heart of New York. And thank you for listening. I wouldn't be here if you weren't here. And if I can leave you with one thought from this episode, it would be to sweat the details. It makes a difference. I'm Pat Perdue. See you next time.